Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. It is so good to be able to come together, and uh, it almost rained, almost got us, right? But here we are, sitting under the tents, and uh, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be continuing in, in, in the book of Acts in the series that we've entitled The Gospel Unleashed. And what I want to be asking this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 8 and going all the way through chapter 7. And this morning, what I want to be asking us this morning is, why is the gospel so offensive? Have you ever realized or understood that the gospel is offensive to people? If you were to, to go onto the street and ask the average person what they think about Christians and the church, most likely it wouldn't be positive. And you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we all agreed that unfortunately, the church has, been, has the reputation of being full of, crypt, of hypocrites. But you know, um, it's been my experience in life that when I talk to non-believers, people that don't believe in Jesus, people that have not put their faith in Jesus, and, and I ask them what they think about Jesus, typically they will say something like, I think Jesus was a good what? Teacher, right? I think he was a good teacher who taught not to judge, right? Everybody knows that verse, judge not lest you be judged. Secondly, they will say that he also taught, which is true, to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are two things that you will typically hear people say. So they, they on the surface, would say that they don't have a problem with Jesus. And that is kind of a positive answer. Although for the church, that misses the mark. Because for us, Jesus is much more than a, te- a good teacher, isn't he? Because Jesus is God. He is the creator. He rose from the dead, meaning that he conquered death. And that means that he is Lord over all. That's the one that we just sang about. That's the one that we have come to worship this morning. And the point I want to try to, that I'm trying to make here right now is that I have never heard anyone blatantly say, I hate Jesus. People may say, I hate the church. I hate believers. But I've never heard someone say that they hate Jesus. And yet, Jesus himself in John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then in John 15, 25, he says, but the word, but the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled, that they hated me without a cause. And so while the world may claim not to hate Jesus on the surface, Jesus says otherwise. And you know, the good news about him, and it is good news, isn't it? The good news about him, the good news that we preach is not received or, it's interesting, it's not received or seen as good news by the world. And this morning we're going to be looking at Stephen, the first martyr. He is the first disciple who had the honor, and I mean the honor of being able to die for his faith. And he died because he preached a a gospel boldly and unapologetically. 
and he got he was hated for it. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this message that he preached and why it proved to be his death warrant. I want to ask, why is the gospel so offensive? And since the birth of the church, we've talked about this on week after week, since the birth of the church, the church continued to grow numerically by leaps and bounds. And there it says that there was not a needy person among them. It was kind of like heaven on earth. But today, today things are going to change. Today the honeymoon is coming to an end. Uh, Because in chapter 6, the church is going to hit a bump in the road. Because as the numbers of disciples continued to increase, there was this complaint that arose. And this is in the the beginning of chapter 6. There was this complaint that arose between the Hellenistic Jews who spoke Greek and the Hebrew Jews who spoke Aramaic. Now, the Hellenistic Jews, you need to understand, they were living all around the world and they migrated back to Jerusalem and they stayed there. But they still spoke Greek, whereas the native Jews, the Hebrew Jews, spoke Aramaic. And this uh, dispute arose among them, and this is what it was. The Hellenistic Jews said, hey, listen, when the food is being passed out, you Hebrew Jews are ignoring our people. Our widows are not getting fed. And this, this had the opportunity of splitting and destroying the church. But by the grace of God, it, it proved to be an opportunity of growth because the apostles took responsibility for the situation and they instructed the congregation, they brought the congregation together, they said, what I want you to do is I want you to select seven men from among you, seven men of good reputation and who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And that's what they did. They brought seven men forward, brought them before the church. The apostles laid their hands on these men and commissioned them to oversee the distribution of food. And this is where, I say all this because this is where we're going to meet Stephen, because he was one of the seven. And it's interesting that in chapter 6, verse 5, Stephen is described as being a man who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. In other words, he was, his life was filled with the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. It says faith comes from Where does faith come from? Hearing what? Yes, hearing the word of Christ, the word of God. So we know that Stephen was full of the the word of God. He was full of the gospel. And secondly, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to listen to this. We talk about being full of the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean, to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, it simply means to be controlled by, to be yielded to, and to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So Stephen is full of the Word of God, and he's full of the Holy Spirit in the sense that he has submitted his life to him. And that means that his life now can be used and empowered for ministry by the Holy Spirit. And you know, I've heard a lot of people, and you may have heard this too, I've heard some people say that there's two types of churches. There's churches that preach the Word of God, but they lack the Holy Spirit. And then there's churches that have the Holy Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit, but they lack the Word of God. Have you ever heard that said? No? Okay, well, uh, I've heard that said a lot of times. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, good. All right, well, people do say that. And, uh, you know, it is true that you can be a church that preaches the Word of God 
and it's not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not controlled with the Holy Spirit because those who hear are only hearers. They don't do what they hear. It can be great teaching. Mm, that was good. Mm, that was great. But they don't get up and do anything about it. And there are churches, there, you know, there are, the Pharisees are an, a, a great example of what that looked like. But, listen, you cannot be a church that is filled with the Spirit that lacks the Word of God. Because typically when you say that, that a church is full of the Holy Spirit but doesn't have the Word of God, you're saying that they're full of emotion. You're, you're saying that's exciting, you know. But if you're going to be a church that is full of the Holy Spirit, number one, the Word of God must be preached and taught accurately and correctly. And secondly, and this is what I need you guys to hear, the members and the pastors must yield themselves to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be Spirit-filled. So being Spirit-filled means that we are hearing the Word of God with the intent of obeying what we hear. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And so it's not about feelings and emotions without obedience. And if we want to be a spirit-filled church, and I know we do, then we simply need to be full of God's word and yielded and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what Stephen was. He was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and it says that God used him mightily. So we're going to pick up in verse 8 and move forward from there. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, I want, to, I want us to see a couple things. I want us to keep in mind that Stephen was not an apostle. And as far as we can tell, he was not a pastor. He was a church member. He was a leader within the church who was a member filled with the Holy Spirit. And he served and he ministered among the people mightily by meeting both physical and spiritual needs. And just out of curiosity, I have a question. How many of you just by the raising of your hand. I've asked this before. I'm going to see how you do on this. How many of you have ever been in full-time ministry? Just by raise your hand. Put it up there so I can see it. Okay. You can put it down. That was kind of a, a trick question. Because if you are a true disciple of Jesus, listen to me. You are commissioned. You're all right. Okay, okay. You got me. Okay. You are commissioned by the Lord to be in full time ministry wherever God has placed you. Listen, we've got to think this way, all right? We've got to think this way because instead of saying that um, uh, you are a, a uh, what was, where did I put it here? You are a student, you are an employee, you are a parent, you're a spouse who is a Christian, you need to flip it around and say, you know what, I'm actually a disciple of Jesus who happens to be a student, an employee, a parent, a spouse, etc., an athlete, an artist, a musician. So the point I'm making here is you don't have to be on staff at a church in order to be in full-time ministry. Let me ask it again. How many of you are currently in full-time ministry? 
All right, good. If you're not and you're a believer, hopefully by the end of this message you will repent and it'll be 100% here. So, Well, in verse 9 it says that opposition rose up against Stephen. And it's not because he was serving food. It's not because he was caring for people. It's not because he was performing miracles. But it is because he was passionately preaching and living the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was preaching in the synagogues. And that means that when he was in the synagogues preaching, he would have been sharing a few things. He would have, number one, been sharing that Jesus, he is the promised Messiah, and he's come. And he would, he would have also preached, but he was crucified. He was buried. And what was the, third, or the fourth thing? Raised from the dead, right? I'm just making sure we got the gospel here. He's ascended to heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of God right now, reigning. Now, for us, is that offensive? No, that is good news. So, the, so what I want to lean in here is, why was this offensive to them? Well, the Jews of that day were deeply devoted to three things uh, in Israel. Number one, they were, they were devoted to the land of Israel, the land that was promised to Abraham. Secondly, they were devoted to the temple in Jerusalem. They believed that the presence of God literally was there. That was where the presence of God stayed. And then number three, they were out, outwardly devoted to the law of Moses. But when Stephen came into the synagogues and began to preach the gospel, he proclaimed that Jesus was actually the fulfillment of these things and that those things were merely signs that were no longer necessary. They were, they were signs that were to point to Jesus and that they were no longer necessary. It's kind of like, have you ever seen a restaurant that has not yet opened and outside there was a sign it says, coming soon, right? But once that restaurant opens, once the doors open and food is served, what do they do to the sign? You take the sign down. And that's what Stephen is doing. He said, we can take these signs down and turn our, turn our attention to Jesus. He's come. And, they, you know, the people didn't like that. They were like, no. No, we don't want to take the sign down because we like the sign. We like our signs. Actually, we love our signs, and we are, we're actually satisfied with our signs. And this proved that they didn't really want what the sign was pointing to. They didn't really want the Messiah, namely Jesus, to rule over them. And, and so this is why they began disputing with Stephen. But it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they were no match for him. It's not because Stephen was a, a, a great wise guy in his own mind. He may have been compared to us, but the reason that he was, they were no competition for him is because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that Jesus, uh, that Stephen silenced them. And this offended them because nobody likes to be told they're wrong, right? And then to realize you're wrong if you're proud. If you're proud. And if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. The proud will not receive correction. This is important to understand about why the gospel is so offensive. It's because the proud will not receive correction. And, and they didn't want to be told that they were wrong. And they didn't want to walk in the truth. Proverbs 9, 7, 8 warns about being proud. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Stephen is in the synagogues. He's correcting them. He's beginning to get abuses. They're showing themselves to be scoffers. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man 
and, and cures injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. If someone is proud and they have no intentions of humbling themselves to the truth you're bringing them, your words are going to be seen to them as hate, hate right? It says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. The proud will not receive correction. Can you relate to this? I don't mean, can you, do you know somebody that's like this? I'm saying, can you relate to this? Being proud. I'll tell you, I can. Because I am tempted on a daily basis with pride. If you don't believe me, which I'm sure you do, if you don't believe me, ask my wife, ask my, my family, ask anyone that knows me uh, closely. They know that I deal with being open to correction. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm never open to correction, but I do have to, uh, I struggle with this, with, with pride. And what I want us to understand is that true believers of Jesus deal with pride. We need to be aware of that in our own lives. And in chapter 15, in a few weeks, God willing, in chapter 15, we're going to see a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. They're, they were two lions of the faith who we know loved Jesus. We already heard about Barnabas, right? We already heard, heard about how he was an encourager. But him and Paul have a dispute that, that separates them because of pride. And the proud will not receive correction. And if we will not receive correction, even as believers in Jesus, then we will not be able to grow. We will, we will not be able to move forward. And if you will not receive uh, correction, you will not be able to receive the gospel. I want you to hear this. If you can't receive correction, you won't be able to receive the gospel because the gospel begins with correction. It begins by telling us that we need a what? A savior. Before you get the good news, you got to hear the truth of the bad news, that we need a, a Savior. And, you know, Stephen's opponents did not want to hear that. And in verse 11, they retaliate. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard Stephen blaspheme, speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. A while back, years ago, a pastor told me, as he was showing me how to read the Word of God, he, was, he pointed out something to me. He said, you know what, the crowds in the Bible, the crowds, when they get emotional, they're never right. The crowds are never right when they respond with emotion. And you may say, well, what about when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Well, just a few days later, what are they saying? Crucify him, crucify him. So the crowds are never right. And it says, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. It's a sudden attack. It's, it's done hastily. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. They're speaking about the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face 
of an angel. Think about that. What does the face, what does the face of an angel look like? Well, other than my wife, I don't know. And she's not even here to hear that, but you can tell I said that. Pause for laughter. Okay. I'm not sure, but, you know, apart from that, I'm not sure what the face of an angel looks like. But evidently, the appearance of Stephen's face caused the council to take notice that something supernatural was taking place. And once again, God is affirming the message of his messenger through a miraculous sign, which they are going to end up rejecting. And so we're going to see that this is a, a mock trial. Uh, and, and Stephen's adversaries are accusing him of three things, blasphemy against God, blasphemy against the temple, and blasphemy against the law of Moses. And then jumping to, verse, uh, to chapter 7, we're going to chapter 7, verse 1. It says, and the high priest said, are these things so? Now, this is a mock trial. He doesn't really want to know. He's already made up his decision, but he's going to do it in front of the people. He's asking, are you guilty? And in verses 2 through 50, verses 2 through 50, Stephen is going to present his defense. And in a nutshell, he is going to say, no, I am not guilty of blasphemy. I am a true Jew who serves the God of Israel. And what we're going to see is that in verses 2 through 10, he begins preaching a sermon that begins with the life of Abraham, recounting the covenant of circumcision that God had given to Abraham and his descendants. And so what he's doing here is he's affirming the Abrahamic covenant. Every Jew would want to hear that. Secondly, he moves on to Joseph in verses 9 through 16. And he reminds them, and we went through this uh, just recently, he reminds them of how Joseph's jealous brothers had sold him into slavery. He's starting to, sh to show this pattern of how those who are proud, who could not receive correction, always turn against God's servants, always turn against God's people. But he talks about how God used Joseph to save his family from the famine and to relocate them to Egypt. And then from verses 17 through 43, he moves on to Moses. And he recounts how God raised up Moses to, de to deliver his people from Egypt when they had multiplied greatly and were enslaved by Pharaoh. And in verse, we're going to pick up in verse 23 where it says, When he was 40 years old, speaking of Moses, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. This, if you'll remember, Moses sees an Egyptian beating one of his Hebrew brothers, and so he kills him and he buries him in the sand. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them. So now, now we're talking about two Hebrew brothers uh, having a fight. He's going to try to reconcile them. And he said, he said, men, you are brothers. 
Why do you wrong each other? But the man, now look at this, verse 27, it says, but the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? I love being outside, don't y'all? He's saying, who do you think you are? The one that was wrong. Moses is trying to bring correction to him. Hey, look, we're brothers. And the one that's wrong does not want to be corrected. The proud will not receive correction. And so the man that is wronging his neighbor rejects Moses. He actually turns it around on Moses. And Moses fled and lived in the land of Midian until 40 years passed. And God raised him up to return to Egypt to lead his people to the promised land. And then in verse 39, Stephen continues. And I'm going to add a word here. The word but, B-U-T. But our fathers refused to obey him. Okay? Stephen says, God raised up Moses, sent him to deliver them, but our fathers refused to obey him but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a, a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing, listen to this, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. This is the heart of man, isn't it? We want to do things. We want to produce things and then get glory for it. This is at the heart of the sinful heart of man. Instead of giving glory to God, we want to receive it. And that's what, what uh, Stephen is pointing out here. They were saying, look what we can do. Look what we can accomplish. Look what our hands have created. And, and so they choose to worship their minute accomplishments while forgetting the mighty works of God. Stephen then moves into, from verses 44 through 49, he moves to the temple where he addresses their wrong view of the temple. They thought that, only, that God only dwelt in the temple. And he reminds them, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophets, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And that is the end of, of his message to them. And you know, basically what Stephen is doing is, is that in love, and I want to emphasize this, what he is doing, he is doing it from a heart of love. He loves his brothers and sisters. And he's concerned about the direction that they are going because he's heard the good news about Jesus and he wants them to understand how they can be forgiven of their sin, how they can be made right with God, how they can live for eternity with God. And so he confronts the Jews and he takes them through the history of Israel. And by the end of his defense, He's no longer defending himself, but he's turning the tables on them to show them that they are the ones that are guilty. And basically, he says, throughout our history, 
Throughout our history, God has raised up men to, to deliver His people. God has always raised up men to deliver His people. In other words, God has always wanted to save us, but they rejected them and they perished. And then He's saying, and now, listen, you are in the same place. You rejected Jesus and you're in danger of doing the same things that our fathers did. And then in verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked people. You know what a stiff-necked person is? Where, where we get that from? It's from like a mule or a horse. I, I had a pony when I was growing up. I wasn't rich. It was one of them gnarly ponies, okay? But I had a pony that we didn't know how to train it. Okay, it's my fault what I'm about to tell you, but anyway, I'm going to tell it to you anyway. When I was like six or seven, we had a pony, and it would, if it did not like what I was doing, it would stiffen its neck, and I don't care what you did, it would not obey you. It would smash you up against the wall. It would, it would run away. You could, it would not do, it would not be uh, led. You could, it would not follow. And that's what Stephen is saying here to them. He's saying, saying God has been so good to you but you're stiff-necked. You won't respond to the kindness of God. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist. You resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now this is their response. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. You might, if you have a different translation, it may say gnashed their teeth. It's, it's like a, it's, it shows extreme rage, like a, a wolf that's defending its food from predators. And you know, Jesus actually describes those who are uh, cast into hell, he describes them as being as weeping and gnashing their teeth. And basically meaning that they are so angry that God has judged them righteously. That even in their punishment, they will not repent. And uh, verse 55, he says, I'm sorry, uh, 55 says, but he, speaking of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And get this, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, usually in Scripture, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, ruling. But here it shows that he is standing because he's ready to welcome his faithful servant into his presence. Uh, this shows us that Jesus stands for his people. And, and Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to learn more about him later. And as they were stoning Stephen, 
he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. So obviously, the gospel was offensive to these men. Why? Well, number one, it's because it brings correction. The gospel is offensive because it brings correction, and the proud will not receive correction. And you know, Jesus said in John 7, 7, he says, the world hates me. He said, this is the third time he's going to say this. He says, the world hates me because, why? I testify about it, that its works are evil. The world hated Jesus because he brought truth. He brought correction to show them that they were headed in the wrong way. And the gospel is offensive because it teaches that man has rebelled against God and that we deserve to be put to death. And it tells us that we are wrong and that we're headed for destruction and that we cannot save ourselves and therefore we need a savior and if you're proud and if you want to live independently of God then this message is going to be offensive to you Um, no matter how it's delivered it will be offensive and you know we can read this account about Stephen and we can go away and go man wow Um, Stephen was so brave I, I wish I could be like Stephen. And if that's how we read this passage, we're going to miss the point of this passage because this text is not about Stephen's courage, but rather about the presence of the Holy Spirit in Stephen's life. We need to see that um, because of the Holy Spirit, we all, listen church, if you're truly his child, if you truly are his disciple, then his spirit lives in you. And that means that we all can live and die like Stephen did. And he is an example of what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And you know, the thing that stuck out to me, the thing that stuck out to me in this passage is that though Stephen was falsely accused, have you ever been falsely accused? Can anyone think of when they, think of a specific time when you were? How did you respond? Don't answer that, but... He was falsely accused and he was wrongly executed. But he did not respond as I probably would in the flesh, out of anger and wrath. Instead, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Someone else prayed something like that at their death. Our Lord, right? The reason Stephen is praying this is because the Spirit of God is in him. And he's controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of Christ praying through or speaking through Stephen. This is the heart of Christ. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you are you're living out the and you're living out the gospel, and you're falsely accused when you're falsely mistreated. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will be more concerned about the welfare of your enemies than you will be about your own life and about your own reputation. That is a fruit of of the Spirit and someone who is full of the Spirit. And you know, I hope these, Terry and I were talking earlier this week uh, about people in the Bible that, w- that may or may not have been saved. And we're, we're like, man, I hope, I hope they were. Um, and these are men, I don't know if they responded 
I hope they did. We know that Saul's going to. So I hope they did. But, you know, if they didn't, we need to understand and remember this, that the Word of God teaches that if they did not respond to the message, if they did not respond to the correction of the gospel, then they died in their sins. And they perished. And now they are waiting for the final judgment of Jesus. When He will declare, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will go into what Jesus calls eternal punishment. But listen, here's the good news for us. We're all breathing, right? We're all still alive. We all can respond to this good news of Jesus Christ. When He brings the correction to us that you need a Savior, we can agree. Yes, I agree with you. I need a Savior. And we can turn our eyes to Him and put our faith in Him because we do have a Savior. He is a Savior. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we all are healed, right? Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity to fall upon Jesus. And if we will believe that, if we will receive that, we too will have our sins forgiven. And so just as the, the proud will not receive correction, the humble will receive mercy. And so if you're experiencing this morning, as God has been speaking to you, if you're ex experiencing what we call conviction, He's brought something to your mind, you're like, yes, I need, He's correcting you right now. Instead of trying to push it out of your mind or walk the rest of the day in, in, with a cloud over your head, See this as a blessing from God. Because when God brings conviction to you, when He brings correction to you, you know what He's saying? He's saying, number one, I love you. And He's also saying, I want to change you in that area and forgive you and empower you to be different. And that is good news. And if we will respond to the Spirit and, and abide with Him and, and allow Him to empower us, He will change us. In closing, I just want you to ask yourself this. Are you filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? I want you to think about yourself right now. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit, which means are you controlled by, yielded to, and submitted to Him? If, if you were to characterize your life, would it be characterized by joy, gratitude, humility, kindness, gentleness, self-control, boldness for Jesus? And here is a good one, openness to correction. Are you somebody that people can bring correction to? If that's the an your answer, yeah, then you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit. And here's three things I want to give real quick of how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, ask. Number one, ask. Every single day, Lord, I come to you and I ask you, to fill me with your spirit. It said, Jesus said to ask, right? Because the Father loves to give his spirit to those who ask. Secondly, I want to encourage you to be open to God's correction. This is a choice. Being open to correction is a choice. When someone brings to correction to you, you have to tell yourself, don't, don't defend yourself. Listen, it might be true. You have to train yourself. So be open to, to his correction. Here's one 
with, with this being open to God's correction, invite correction. Ask people to help you to see things. Um, and then get around people who can bring correction and help you to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Young people, I want to encourage you that want to grow, find someone that's further ahead of you and ask them, hey, can we hang out? Now, uh, older people, I want to encourage you to do the same. Invite people into your life. That's what we want to be as a church, right? We want to be a church that's integrated together, that we're growing together. Another thing that you can do is when you get with that person that you said you want to, them to help you grow, ask questions. Ask questions and let them talk. Let them share. And then lastly, and this is probably one of the most important things that we need to do, is that we need to fill ourselves with the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is, is deeper than the ocean. Um, I don't care how much you study it, you will never comprehend it or master it. As a matter of fact, you're not, you're not meant to master the Word of God more, as much as it is to master you. And so, I want to encourage you that we would be like Stephen, that we would be in the Word of God. Think about yourself right now. Would you say that you are a person that is in the Word of God? And I'm not just talking about a devotional. I'm talking about in the Word of God. If not, I want to encourage you to begin setting goals. Nothing significant of significant value is accomplished without setting goals. And you won't grow in the Word of God if you don't set goals. So I want to encourage you uh, maybe you've never read a, a book, a certain book in the Bible. Set a goal to read that book. And if you don't know where to start, find someone who can help you get started in that. Again, get around someone who can help and encourage you in, in this. And you know what? Reach Life Church, as we do this, as we do our part, God promises to do His part. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And as God does his part, we will be a, um, full of faith. We'll be a church that's uh, full of the spirit that brings glory to God while bringing Jesus to the world that we live in. Amen? Amen.